according to your promise, I will live. Do not let my hopes be. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. Reject all who stray from your Bear deceitfulness in vain. All the wicked of the earth discard like dross. Therefore, I love your My flesh trembles in fear of you. Corey Ten Boone wouldn't like that. Oh, read it. that's exactly right. My hiding place? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely right. He had something else there. I can't remember what he said, but it wasn't hiding It wasn't my hiding place. It's that's shelter, right. But... Shelter, yeah, something like that. But I wrote hiding place. Oh, my. Okay, so here's what we got. We got a um, uh, couple things. Oh, I need to do that before I go. We have... Um, I want to tell you about tracks. I'm always telling people, please take tracks and hand them out, right? And uh, uh, I, I don't know if people actually do that or not, because I haven't had the filly in the, any of those lately, except when I take them a mail to somebody, because people ask me, will you mail me some tracks? Which I have to remember, before I leave, somebody remind me to get tracks before I leave here today, because I, I have to send them to somebody. Charlie. Huh? I know. Shh, don't say anything. Um, and um, so anyway, I want to tell you something that happened concerning some of the tracks of a person out in California that attends online. Uh, he asked, can I have some tracks? And uh, I'll hand them out because they're stamped with the superior word thing and they attend online. So it's their church. Might as well send them to him. And uh, he uh, said, sent out an email yesterday, which I read this morning. And he said, handing out tracks works. And he sent it out to a lot of people. So I'm not making this up. There are other people that are watching that heard this. He, what happened is they... He put one on a, uh, it's, I think, the one, Are You Going to Heaven? And he put it on a, a table after um, eating dinner. And then when they were walking out, he turned around, and the busboy was cleaning the table. And he picked up the track, and he opened it, and he sat there and read the thing. And the wife said to him, while they were reading, he said, let's pray. And so they're praying while this guy was reading this. He read the thing, folded it up, and put it in his pocket. So I have to tell you something. If you're not handing out tracts, you ought at least be telling people about Jesus. But if you're not going to be telling people about Jesus, then you need to hand out tracts. It's one or the other, okay? Because there are people that need to know this that have never heard this message before. Or so Or both. Yeah, hand out a track and tell people about Jesus. I handed out one today to somebody, and then we got into a conversation about Jesus because they already knew Jesus. But anyway, um, you want to make sure that you have them available. I always keep them in the Bible, in the car, so they're there. And you want to hand them out. That's what they're there for. And if they run out, I'll order more. It's not a big deal. It just takes a while to stamp the back of them. But I have three minutes spare every day, so I, I'll do that. But um, anyway, I just thought I'd tell you about that. Please uh, please remind me when I leave to get more tracks because somebody else wanted me to mail them some. Um, I want to ask for prayers for our brother, Sean. He lives here just down uh, up south of us in Florida, and he emailed and he's having heart problems, which are serious but manageable. He just, he'd been told there was nothing wrong there. He went to another doctor, and the doctor says, no, you've got a, a problem here. You've got, so we want to keep Sean in prayer. And um, what a track, um, got that, got that. Okay, um, instead of reading our Christian history today, I thought I'd read you something funny. Uh, it, this actually came out the week that we finished the Romans Bible study. And so I wish I had known that and I would have read it then, but I'll read you something. And it, this is a spoof site. It's the Babylon Bee. Okay. Durian coffee. When I saw that, I almost flipped. I can't wait to try that. I, I, I've been waiting all week to tell you this. I, I can't tell anybody here what I'm talking about, but uh, anyway, um, 
Uh, this is from the Babylon Bee. It's an article, Reform Pastor Completes Brief 47-Year-Long Sermon Series on the Book of Romans. Wrapping up the series that began during the Vietnam War, Reformed Minister Michael L. Foster preached the final sermon in his brief 47-year-long study on the Book of Romans Sunday morning. The last message was a short, breezy, one-hour exposition of Romans 1627d, which reads, Amen. Foster's sermon series had many highlights. Several elderly church members recalled being particularly fond of the three years he spent on Romans 3 during the Reagan administration. <laughs> Others cited his decade-long exposition of Romans 9 in the 1990s as their favorite part of the broad overview of Paul's epistles. There's a lot to unpack there in Romans, the pastor told reporters, but you can't take too long or you start to lose people's interest. <laughs> Most church growers can, church goers can only hang in there for four or five decades before they start to check out. He further stated that he'd considered condensing the series even further to an even 30 years, but decided against it when he realized he'd have to cut his uh, brief five-year historical background section from the study to make it work. 30-year-long sermon series are for Arminian churches and heretics, he said. But I repeat myself, at publishing time, the Reverend had kicked off a filler sermon series on the book of Ephesians, expected to last well over a decade. So that's my kind of a preacher there. I'm uh, not uh, entirely uh, sure that he was on the right path being a reformed minister. He probably did not get Romans 9 through 11 right, but my hat's off to him for doing a good long job. Leviticus um, was 56 Sundays. Yeah, Leviticus was 56 Sundays. And so. Right. And sometimes when you read it by yourself, feels like <laughs> there you go okay now i have one more thing before we start this is from the last class and i made an error i know there's a pattern in the books of romans and i misstated it and i want to correct it right now before we get in romans because last week i said that the epistles of paul start with the largest and go down to the smallest that is not the pattern the pattern is that you have uh, romans and you've got one corinthians or 16 they get smaller but each time you have a set of epistles, like 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, it's always longer, shorter, longer, shorter. Same with the pastoral epistles. So what I said was incorrect. I was doing it off the top of my head, and I knew there was a pattern, and I misstated it. So if you got that from the last um, uh, sermon and you wrote it down, all of Paul's epistles go in descending order except the pastorals is what I said. That was incorrect. It goes uh, Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, and then 2 Corinthians is 13, Galatians is 6, Ephesians is 6. Philippians is 4, Colossians is 4, and then 1 Thessalonians is 5, 2 Thessalonians is 3, 1 Timothy is 6, 2 Timothy is 4, and Titus is 3. So you see this recurring pattern within the epistles of Paul, not through all of the epistles of Paul. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Um, we our hats off one more time to the gentleman who spent 47 years on Romans, and we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. What? Oh yeah, we got to pray before we start. Thank you, Bert. Heavenly Father, we certainly do pray. You heard our prayer for um, uh, our brother, Sean, and we also pray for Graham in Scotland, who's still struggling. He, the poor guy's just been through so much, Lord, and we would ask that you would be with him through this. And I heard from our brother, Blake, today, and he is also not doing well. He's hardly out, able to get out of his house. And so we would ask that you would be with him and help him through his time of difficulty. And our brother Nick in California as well, who is is uh, struggling with his own disabilities and his inability to get around. Uh, Lord, people just keep flooding into mind with the difficulties they're facing, and we have other people that have financial troubles and uh, physical troubles and uh, some marital troubles. Lord, I would ask that you would be with these people and help them to just 
understand that you are there and that they can lean on you in their times of trouble. And we would pray that they would do this and that they would know that they have nothing to be anxious for when we are in your arms. Lord, we thank you for the chance to go into this book of 1 Corinthians and to study it. We ask that you bless this study. And if we say anything wrong, help it to be highlighted so that we can get it corrected the next week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ah, oh, see, we got two more ladies here. Can we help you? That's my wife and my mother showing up late. So, okay, there we go. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, hang on a second here. Let me turn there and make sure that it reads at least close to that. Um, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Very close. Okay, after identifying himself, his calling, who was accompanying him, and who the letter is directed to, Paul now gives the standard greeting, which is found in most of his epistles. Grace to you and peace to you. Grace is, anybody? Not getting what you deserve. Yeah, no, that's getting mercy. Getting, getting, getting what you do not deserve. And it is also unmerited favor, which cannot be earned, okay? So you're correct in that. And it is also unmerited favor, which cannot be earned. And this is the common greeting among the Greek people. You would say grace to you, right? Okay. Peace, however, is the common greeting among the Hebrew people. So you've got grace to you and peace to you. In their language, the word is shalom. Thank you. This is more than a greeting for calm or quiet, but it is a state of wholeness and completion in all ways. Paul unites the two terms just as the church is being united between Jew and Gentile during his time. This, the grace precedes the peace because only after receiving the grace of God can a person experience the peace of God. So even what he says makes logical sense if you think it through. Okay, now, if you follow through with the rest of the epistles that we cover, eventually you're going to see that at the beginning of every one of his uh, uh, epistles. And I always just cut and paste. And if there's a difference in the wording, I will always highlight that. But just so you know, you'll hear that again if you stick it out through the Pauline epistles. Paul extends this wonderful blessing to them from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a greeting from the eternal God, both the unseen Father and his Son, who reveals the Father to us. Rather than being an argument against the divinity of Jesus Christ, which some people will say, see, Jesus Christ and God, our Father, they say, see, there's a difference. Okay, it is an argument for it. He is tying the two in as one, Jesus being a member of the Godhead. Now, I understand people will say, well, how do you come to that conclusion? All you have to do is read your Bible. All you have to do is look at the pages of Scripture, and in particular, Hebrews. If you're following along in the Hebrew studies, you know that the deity of Jesus Christ is absolutely confirmed on verse after verse after verse. There's no doubt about it, but it is not an argument against the Godhead in this particular verse, which some people will say it is. Not in any way, shape, or form. He is a member of the Godhead. He is not making some division between the two, but a harmonious blending of the two, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ within the Godhead. Throughout Paul's letters, as with the entire Bible, the deity of Jesus Christ is a concept, and it is a precept which simply cannot be missed. It is the very heart of what God has done for the reconciliation of the people of the world, okay? For us to say that we are given a, a, a Savior, and that he is a created being who created all other things the way that Jehovah's Witness says is completely illogical. We've gone through this. I'll go through it again, maybe during the book of Corinthians, that the 12 first principles, one of them is the principle of contingency. 
A contingent being, meaning a created being, cannot create anything else. Logically, if you think it through, it is impossible. For the Jehovah's Witnesses to say that Jesus Christ is a created being who created all other things apart from himself is impossible. Logically, think it through. We'll go through them maybe, like I said, during the book of 1 Corinthians. And each one of those first principles is irrefutable, and it also confirms it. When you try to deny it, it actually confirms the principle. It's one of those things that it becomes self-evident. And so there, if anybody wants to know what the first principles are, from time to time, people will email me after a study, and they say, well, what are you talking about? We email them to me. Yes, I will. Or if you just want to watch them on a sermon, go back and watch the Genesis 1-1 sermon. And I talk about the first principles. But this is something that Paul brings in. The way you defend it is actually possible apart from Scripture. Okay? We use Scripture. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. It says Jesus is God, undoubtedly, in the book of Hebrews. So we don't need to go further than that. But if you want a logical proof of that, then you would go outside of Scripture. Just like we would have a logical proof of there being a beginning. Where would we get that from? Where in science, specifically? You can get it from logic. And you can get it specifically from a principle in, physics. what's that? Physics. Physics. And specifically who in physics? Einstein. Remember he wrote the theory of relativity? Mm -hmm. And he said that everything began at one moment and that time, space, and matter are all linked together. They happened at one time and that's what scared Einstein. When he saw that, he realized if there is a beginning... There must be a beginner. Exactly. If there's a beginning, there's a beginner. If there's a beginner, then I am now accountable to him. He was a Benedict Spinoza pantheist, which means that he believed that God was everything and everything is God. Pantheos, okay? Pan means all, theos is God, pantheist, okay? That's what he thought. And then he realized that cannot be. Because if God is everything, then that means that everything is eternal. But there was a beginning, which he proved. Okay, but logically, you can also deduce that there is a beginning, because if we are talking right now, and if there was no beginning, there would be no way to get to right now. We would be forever going into an infinite regress, looking for the beginning. And then also you can logically, and through physics, uh, determine this through the um, second theory of, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, what is it, um, the law of thermodynamics, okay? The law of thermodynamics says that Energy in a closed system, which we know the universe is a closed system. Einstein proved it. Energy in a closed system is wearing down. In other words, there is a time without a creator that everything in the universe would be cold. There would be no energy left. Everything would be completely dead. Well, if the universe was eternal, if it has always been here, then what does that mean? There would be no energy. That's right. There would be, it would all be cold. Everything would be dead right now because if it was eternal, then there would be a point where everything had run out. Impossible. There had to have been a beginning. There are other ways to determine that. That's just two or three of them that I whipped out really quickly. But understand that there is a beginning. There was a beginner. That beginner could not create another thing that would then create all other things. In other words, Jesus is God. God the Father is God. God the Holy Spirit is God. They are a trinity. They are not a triad. Triad means three separate entities. That's what the Jehovah's Witness will try to tell you. They say Trinity is never in the Bible. Can anybody tell me what's wrong with that? How do you defend against Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible? Well, it's not named, but it's there. <laughs> That's exactly right. Okay, you say, do you believe in original sin? And they'll say, oh yeah, I believe in original sin. Well, you say, guess what? That's never mentioned in the Bible. How can you believe in something that isn't mentioned in the Bible? Because it is taught exactly what she just said. All right, 
people will say, well, there's no such thing as a rapture. It's never mentioned in the Bible. Well, the word rapture isn't, but guess what? The concept is. It's right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's right there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's implied several times in the Old Testament in type and picture. It's stated by Jesus in Revelation 4 verse 1. So we don't need a word to be in the Bible to have something in the Bible be taught. Okay, the Trinity is never said in the Bible, but it is taught throughout Scripture. Even in Genesis 1, it's in Isaiah chapter 6, it's elsewhere in the Old Testament, and it's certainly in the New. Um, uh, one more, and then we'll get back into this. Matthew 28, let me read you very quickly here. Matthew 28, uh, I think it's 18 and 19. We'll know this in one minute. Uh, Matthew 28 uh, 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 says here... Uh, uh, 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, okay, which all authority means that God is giving up a lot if he's given them all authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name, Father, Son, there you go, and Holy Spirit, okay, she got all three of them, very good, did you go to school for that? She got all three of them, okay, guess what, it, the word name in Greek is a noma, it's singular, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't need to go any further with that. If the name is singular and there's three beings being mentioned, then that means that they are one. Okay, there you go. So, we'll go on. Um, uh, peace of God. Paul extends this blessing from God the Father. Throughout Paul's letters, as with the entire Bible, the deity of Jesus is a concept and a precept which cannot be missed. It is the very heart of what God has done for the reconciliation of the people of the world. Life application, very short analysis here. Outside of God's creation, which reveals him in a general way, what do we call that? We call it general revelation. general revelation, okay, which reveals him in a general way. We cannot comprehend him except through his special revelation. You got general revelation, oh, there's a tree. And then what did Aristotle do? He sat down and he thought through, if there's a tree, there must be a reason why it's here. It had to have come into existence somehow, but it couldn't have created itself. Just using a tree as an example of the universe. The universe can't create itself, right? If it did, if the universe created itself, then what does that mean? It existed before it existed. That's a logical impossibility. It could not be. And therefore, Aristotle sat down and he said, well, there must be a beginning. And he started to think about what this beginner must be like, right? The beginning and a beginner. So he thought, well, there can't be any actuality in him. I, I'm sorry, there can't be any potential in him. He is pure act. That means he is. There's no change in him at all because if there's any change, then that's not the beginner because there's time associated with that. And he understood these things. He logically thought through the nature of God. He was this far away from understanding the nature of God as the Bible describes it without ever having a page of scripture because he was born outside of the covenant people of Israel hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet he figured this out simply by thinking okay we are without excuse we went through that in romans one or somewhere but we are without excuse okay but we have to have a certain document to get us beyond that final point he understood from general revelation all of this exists and there must be a beginner there must be things about him that we can deduce that we can learn thomas aquinas built on his writings but aquinas could not understand salvation. He could not understand redemption without special revelation. That is what the Bible is. But the Bible is something that provides necessary information beyond what we could get through general revelation. Without that, there is no hope for man. I got to tell you what, if this is not true, 
there is no hope for man at all because there is no other document on this planet that correctly <coughs> describes the God that Aristotle knew existed and he could think about to the point where he understood what he was like in his being. No other religion on earth does that. Even Judaism misses the point because they have left out Jesus. Okay, There are some great thinkers, Maimonides and some others, that had some good logical thoughts about God, but they miss the final point, which is Christ. Okay, Without Christ, we're, we're goners. Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, one way special revelation is through the mouth of his prophets. But these prophets also testified to the exact same thing, all of them. What did they testify to? Jesus. John 5.39. Remember, he says, you search the scriptures and they are that which speak of me. John 5.39. The most magnificent special revelation of all of God that we have received is the incarnation of Jesus. That is real. That is special revelation par excellence. But for us, even this is not sight. It is found in the testimony of those who have recorded it, what they knew into the New Testament. So in order to understand God, one must know Jesus Christ, and one cannot understand Jesus Christ unless they know their Bible. Everybody got that? Sergio said something to me a day ago. He was reading uh, uh, what Jesus said, oh, Matthew 28, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, right? And he was curious what that meant. He says, make a disciple. What does that mean? So he looked it up, and guess what the word is? Uh, Mathematics. Mathematicos. I may have mispronounced that. I'm doing that from memory from a couple days ago. Anyway, what does that sound like? Sounds like mathematics. It's derived from the exact same source as the word mathematics. In other words, when Jesus said that, he said, go and think these issues through. Study them. Understand them. And when we read an evaluation of what that means, it means actually hard work. I remember I've said that to you all a million times during these studies. Understanding the nature of God, understanding this book, understanding what Paul is telling us takes hard work. It's not something simple. And Jesus implied that when he said that to him. A disciple is somebody that studies. It's somebody that grasps and strives and mentally uses their mind, just like we would in mathematics. I mean, I remember being in math and it was difficult, except in third grade when everything was wrote. Three times three is nine. You just memorize that. But once you get beyond that, it is difficult work to understand mathematics. Okay, calculus and algebra, those are things, that's what Jesus is talking about. I, you've got this body of information, study it, figure it out, and apply it to your life. And that's what we're supposed to do. And I feel so bad for people that go and sit in Bible studies, and I don't mean to demean other Bible studies. I, I have not been to that many myself. But when they go, the few that I have been to have been, how does that make you feel? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you're not getting anything. You, It's all about you. It's all subjective feelings. It's all... That's not what Jesus would have us do. That's not what Paul would have us do. And that's certainly not what Peter said when he said that you are to have a, <coughs> begins with D, ends with defense, make a defense for your faith, right? The word is apologia, an apology for what you're doing. Not an apology like, I'm sorry, but yes, apologetics. That's right. All right. So that is what we are to do. So um, Jesus, he is the incarnation uh, that we don't have sight. In order to understand God, one must know Jesus Christ. One cannot understand Jesus Christ unless they know their Bible. Here's your life application. Know your Bible. Okay, that's it. That is what you need to do in order to fully grasp it. You know, when people say, well, I believe in visions and I believe in all, we live by faith and not by sight. The Bible says that. Either that is a true statement or it is not a true statement. 
If we have sight, then we do not need to live by faith. Okay? Believe what you want on visions. Believe what you want on prophecies that people give in churches. Do whatever you want. That's your choice. Just so you know that I do not teach that in any way, shape, or form. Okay? Um, uh, speaking about healing, though, I said this during church on Sunday, which is, this is almost sight, but it's still faith. Okay? Speaking about healing. I mentioned this during the prophecy update is I do not believe in faith healers. I do believe in faith healing. That's why we pray. That's exactly what I said during the prophecy update. And I explained that to people. We pray because the Bible says that God will hear. And if it's his choice, he will respond. Before I go on, there are some people that were not healed in the Bible. Trophimus was left sick in Miletus, right? Timothy had stomach problems, right? Drink a little wine for your stomach problems. Did Paul claim healing over him? He was with Timothy his whole life. Right? Trophimus, he could have just said, I left him sick and latest. Well, I'm going to heal you and then I'm going to leave. No. He says, Epaphroditus almost died for the faith. Instead of Paul saying, I'm going to heal you right now, he almost died. They had to work him through it. And then they sent him back because they didn't want him to go through any more suffering, worrying about their beloved Epaphroditus. So you can throw that faith healing stuff right out. Okay? We pray for healing. Now, having said that, uh, I've lost my uh, thought. Oh, no, I didn't. Somebody emailed me today. I can't give the specifics because I wasn't given permission to, but I can say that somebody emailed me and had a sister that was sick and they said, she's not going to make it. And this person said to me, uh, uh, we went home and I, I was in distress, crying, etc. Okay. His sister is not going to make it. And then our beloved brother, Isaac in Uganda, most of you know him from Facebook. He's, he helps out more people. He does more than anybody I know. He's just an amazing human being. He does so much. He's always going. And you'll see him at a wedding. And you think, what does he have time to go to a wedding when he's doing all these other things? Guess what he did? He told this person, let's start praying for her. Let's not give up hope. And they started praying for this girl. And lo and behold, off of the machines, coming back is back. And this is because, and I believe that is because of Isaac. But what is that? That is still faith. There's no proof that Isaac and her deciding we're going to pray her out of this actually happened. Well, we know somebody injected her with the right stuff and got her back on her feet. We have to have faith in that type of healing. But I emailed Isaac right away and I said, Isaac, I want to know what a pleasure you are to know. I'm so thankful for people like that that are willing to stop and say, we can get through this. It's not over until it's over. My hair's standing up. Look at that. It's just, that's why we come, study the Bible, understand the power of the Lord Jesus, and pray for people when they are in need, right? And I know my prayers aren't very effective. I, I'm not, some people have great effective prayers, some people don't, right? I pray for people, but I would hope that other people are praying along with me because I'm so busy with other things that I forget. And at the end of the day, I think, I know I have to pray for somebody. Lord, please just remember all the people I said I pray for today. Because I just, you know, it's just overwhelming some days. But when first, you, what's first that? First Bible study I ever belonged to. I always open up with prayer. Does anyone have any prayers and praises? Right. And we go through the whole thing. And on a whim, about two years into it, I just started like, okay, here's Making what notes. prayed for. What happened? Oh, look at it. It was the praise a few weeks later. And it was like... It, amazing. It was, it was amazing. Amazing Some how much. Were like were life and death things like what you were talking about. Unbelievable. Like, okay. and, but we nobody said like, you know, we have to like do this more because we're healing them. Right. Never that. It was Not, always like... Just the asking the Lord to inter, right. intervene and take care of this problem. I know one other person that does that. She makes a note of every person she prays for. And I wish I had time for that. I don't. I just, I say I'll pray and I always stop right then 
and I pray, even while I'm typing, I'll say, Lord, please hear the prayer for this person. And yeah, I always do that. I never miss a prayer. But later in the day, I'll often get so overwhelmed with 25 prayer requests. I'll think, I know there's somebody I'm forgetting. You, you just have to lump them in and say, Lord, you know, you know my failings and you know their needs. Please be with them. 14 or 1-4, please. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Okay, almost exactly the same, so we'll just read it. Paul's introduction and greetings are friendly and filled with encouragement. His closing statements will be likewise. They'll be uplifting and attentive to the building up of his recipients. However, the main body of the epistle, anybody ever read 1 Corinthians? It's the most dysfunctional church that you will ever, it's as dysfunctional as your church. Whichever church you attend, if it's a superior word, it's the same. Okay, you got the same problems, you've got the same anxieties, you've got the same pet peeves and fights and all of these things going on. It doesn't matter where you go, it is a dysfunctional church. And it's highlighted here. You wait until we get to chapter 5 if you don't believe me. And if you're curious, go read it while I'm talking because it'll take you two minutes to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's a very short chapter and yet it has got so much theology. We'll be in there talking about and you'll say, ah, you know, I thought that guy could lose his salvation. Now I see he can't. And there's just all kinds of stuff going on in there. But this is the most dysfunctional church of all of his epistles. But if you think about it, it's just like your church, Burke, and it's just like wherever you attend, or I don't want to say where, and uh, Tom Alley, you're in a dysfunctional church, I assume. So uh, he's over there. Anyway, so there you go. Um, uh, however, uh, in the main body of the epistle, Paul is going to address rather directly at times many hard issues. Some of these issues may be found offensive in today's climate of tolerance, but these are things which are important to God and which he expects us to pay heed to. We're saved by grace through faith, but we are expected to live out our salvation in holiness and right living. You know, I, I have had some people email me and they say, yeah, I used to struggle with the doctrine of eternal salvation, right? And I, I feel freed now that I understand I am saved forever. And guess what? Some of those people have actually gone back into the ways of the world. Maybe because they now know that they're not responsible to, for keeping their salvation. Christ has saved them. And they think, oh, the burden's off me, and so now I can go do what I want. Well, that's a perverse way of looking at it, but that's their choice. They will stand before the Lord Jesus, and they are the ones that have to give an account for what they did with their time after he saved them. Okay? And they will also lose rewards. Is eternity worth a few short years here saying, well, you know what? I'm saved forever. Thanks, Jesus. We got people in this church that are sitting here right now that have devoted their lives. I'm not talking about me. To the Lord. They go through hardships. They suffer loneliness. They go through difficult times. But they do that because they know that they're responsible to the Lord. That's a responsible way of looking at it. You know, I, I could do what I want when dad is out of the house. But am I going to do what's right? Well, dad is gone. Right? Our Heavenly Father is never gone. He sees everything, and it's all being recorded for our future. I so, like think of it as if you don't realize you're saved, and it's guaranteed, and you go off and continue doing nonsense. It's like kicking the judge who just pardoned you. Absolutely. From a death sentence. It's absolutely. Like, would you do that? You wouldn't. Yeah. Nobody no. would do that. Yeah, but we do, don't we? I mean, nobody would do it, but they do do it. It's just, it's a perverse way of looking at the world, but hey, you know what, the Lord. He hasn't put any conditions on our salvation. No. Our salvation is is totally up to what it says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 1 through 3, and then applying it in Romans 9 and 10, 10, 9 and 10. 
And then from there, that's it. He has saved you. He sealed you. You are on your way to heaven. You are responsible. And like you said, it's just like kicking the judge. Thanks a lot. But you know, this is the world we live in. Don't be that way. Be determined to, and we all fall. Every one of us thinks things that we shouldn't do, and we do things that we shouldn't do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about have a conscience about it when it happens. Guess what? I followed you down 41 today. You went over 45 miles an hour. I was pulling out and you turned into the landings. I was trying to catch up to you, so obviously I was going over 45 too. But yeah, you, you, of all people, you of all me of all people. Yeah. Well, I very rarely go over the speed limit. <clears throat> uh, I just wrote when you said it. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my mother. I was talking to. I tried so hard to get up to you and beep at you, and because I beeped and you just zipped right by me and never saw me. So anyway, um, here we go. Um, uh, yeah, some of these issues will be found offensive in today's climate of tolerance, but these things are important to God, and he expects us to pay heed to. Um, I'm just reading again what I closed with a minute ago. We are saved by grace through faith, but we're expected to live out our salvation in holiness and right living. Okay, before addressing the difficult issues which must be addressed, though, he first ensures those at Corinth, uh, uh, ensures that those at Corinth that they are dear to him and ever on his mind. He states, I thank my God always concerning you. One can just picture him walking along the road to his next destination and recalling the people and experiences there at Corinth. Does anybody here do that? You're out working and you're just, you're banging on a, a nail or you're cleaning or whatever. And you're just thinking about the people that you love and you're thanking God for you. And Paul was like this. He'd be, he'd have all kinds of time alone. He'd be walking or, you know, he'd be sailing. Well, what do you do? You go down and play whatever. I don't know what they played back in Greek times on the ships, but you know, gamble. I don't think he did. He'd stand out out there and look out at the ocean. He'd say, Lord, I think for, you know, uh, Sylvanus over in Corinth and this guy over in Rome and what wonderful people. And this is what he did. He consumed his time with good thoughts towards people. Now that's what I try to do. You know, unless I get mad when somebody does something really stupid at the mall, I'm walking around, I'm taking out the garbage. It's just me and my brain. Might as well use it. And so I'm talking to the Lord about the people that I've met or the people that are in need or the people that have, are sick. And I'm just talking to the Lord about those things. And thank you, Lord, for this. And thank you, Lord, for that. And then, of course, I see that somebody ran over something intentionally. And I think, <laughs> so it's just what happens. Yeah, you know what? We got that planner at Davidson. I'll tell you what happened. We got this big planner. It's right when you come in, you got to go around it to come in. And every year they put in flowers at this time of year. They do it every single year. And every single year, within one day of them putting them in, a semi will come in. And instead of going through the 7-Eleven parking lot and coming through this way, which they can make a full round, they come around and they run right over the planter. $800 worth of flowers. They run right over. And there's two tracks going right down the middle of it for the next three months, dead flowers. Okay. Well, and landmines come, in. landmines come in handy there. Well, you know what? So finally, after all of these years, I convinced them, why don't you put up a nice looking post at each end, right? They put them in two weeks ago and they planted the flowers last week. And guess what? That front post at the beginning of it has been run over three times in four days. I have to, and it's big. This is a big post. Somebody's car is damaged and they're so stupid. Anyway, that's the thing that I get angry at at the mall. That's when I, anyway, um, other things too. They sit and you know, have a rock planter and they sit and drink beer and they throw rocks all over the parking lot. And I got to get a five gallon bucket in each hand. And I got to pick up all the rocks and put them back in the planter. I mean, that's debilitating it's when you're busy. Button. Yeah, oh, a reset button. I, I, if I had a gun, I'd probably end myself. It's just terrible. These people. Anyway, um, let's see here. Before, oh, I will say something good that happened this morning. 
I was out. It's cold. First cold day of the year. Actually, very yesterday cold. was, but it was very cold this morning. Yeah. Guess what happened? Happens every time it gets cold. No, no shoes. And so people see me without shoes. And what do they do? Get your shoes. Yeah, here, this is for you for coffee. I said, no, ma'am, I just had coffee a couple hours ago. Actually, it was about five hours early because it was three in the morning. But um, I said, that's okay. And she said, well, then here, this is for your lunch. She handed me a $5 bill. Yes. I tried. I tried to tell her no. Tips, tips. That's what I gave it to Hidiko. I said, tips, tips. Yeah, they think I'm a bum out there picking up garbage. How do they think that? I don't know. How do they go to that? Okay, let's get back to the Bible here. <laughs> All right, before uh, the difficult issues. Uh, yeah, okay, so he, um, as he uh, came to mind, these people that he's thinking about, my mom's embarrassed she's red over there. As they come to mind, he probably uttered such thought, thoughts out loud as, yes, Lord, thank you for those in Corinth. Thank you for Mycopolis, Lysatha, and Philipp Philipparus. I took some friends' names and made them into Greek-sounding names. And Lord, you know how good Kristinsky is uh, and how good she was to me while I was there. Thank you for those folks. And all of those that I've come to know. This is what Paul was doing. Okay, I'm trying to get you to think this through so that you can do the same thing when you're just spending time doing nothing, right? Um, so here it is. It is Paul who wrote to the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing thank you and that's what he's doing he's talking to the lord about these people a prayer doesn't have to be stop get on your knees and start you know you just talk just talk when you're driving you can talk i don't anymore because now i have the niv live bible and so i'm listening to the bible but you can talk to the lord at any time and that is a prayer and it is also something done in begins with an f ends with eighth faith because you don't talk to somebody that doesn't exist unless you're crazy Right. And so it, 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 this is something that you will be rewarded for because your rewards are based on your faith and how you exercise it in the life you live. So there you go. Paul says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And he certainly did this in himself in such a manner. He just prayed for people as he was going along. Next, he explains why he was so thankful to God for them. It was based on the grace of God, which was given to you. Grace, once again, is unmerited favor. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned. It is completely undeserved. Unless you're, you know, uh, uh, one of these people that believes you that you can lose your salvation, then grace is something that you have to earn. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't care at what point you lose your salvation. If it's one minute after you became saved, or if it's two years later, or if it's seven years later, or if it's because you walk away from Jesus, or it's because you kill your brother's best friend, I, I don't care what the reason is. If you do something to lose your salvation then it was never by grace through faith it, to begin with it was dependent on you and your actions anytime it doesn't matter when it happens it was not of grace through faith so please understand that people will argue loss of salvation without thinking the issue through they get dogmatic about it because that's what they were taught they love their pastor they think it's a good thing i'm sorry if you can lose your salvation it was not of grace it was not by faith ever if you can lose your if you can you all would if you can you would that is all there is to it that's absolutely right so um uh, let's see here uh next week oh i said that grace is unmerited favor grace is bestowed upon us when we submit to him properly and this grace is by jesus christ that's paul's words he did the work through him we receive god's grace jesus did the work we get the grace Upon receiving this grace, many benefits are available to the believer. 
Paul will continue with that thought in the coming verses concerning this. But then his writing will also cover those things that the Corinthians were engaged in, which imposed upon God's grace. We will see such behavior is not what God intends for his children. Let us pay heed to the words of 1 Corinthians, especially, as I said, chapter 5. It's a very, very good chapter to understand these things. It is a classic example of a church in crisis and needing sound theology, proper doctrine, and right direction. Just like your churches, just like your churches, and just like your church, and you too. too. Yeah, and you're, well, yeah, you're here in this church, so he's, he's definitely beats it here. <laughs> but all the people that don't attend, and you too, you don't attend this church, so your church needs the same thing. All of us need proper doctrine. And then there are some people, I, I don't know if they attend church or not back there in the back. Do you attend regularly somewhere? You do. Okay. She's got her head shaking. Good. I'm glad. I got my daughter and a girl that she grew up with. My daughter's visiting from New York for a couple days. And one of her long, old best friends came along tonight, who is the sweetest uh, strawberry in the entire patch, is that girl right there. When we were in school together, I'm not talking about me, those two. It was unbelievable. They have the guys' basketball team and they got the girls' basketball team. And this was a basketball team, both guys and girls, that were really struggling for people because this was a really small school. And there was a really good guys' basketball team. They went to the state finals and everything. But I'm going to tell you what, on the women's basketball team, there was a girl that never missed a three-pointer. She could throw a three-pointer every single time and without fail it would go in. And she's sitting right back there. I, I never, look, my hair sting, I'm not lying. It, it was amazing watching this young lady play basketball. You guys want pointers on how to make a three-pointer? That's the girl to talk to. <laughs> it's so good to have you here tonight. All right, no, thank you. Okay, so um, here we go. Now she's married, got children. Just uh, wonderful to see young Christians grow up into mature <laughs> Christians. Yeah, they're a little small. Um, so here we go. Um, uh, he did the work. Okay, life application, God's grace is sufficient to cover all our sins past present and future but he does not intend for this grace to be abused people say that oh eternal salvation leads to license that may be in some people that's their choice but it doesn't negate the precept in the bible the precept is in the bible it's what the bible teaches and therefore we have to go where the bible teaches not make things up because we are weak in the flesh or somebody else that they used to go to church with that fell away is weak in the flesh. That is not the Bible's fault. That is that person's fault. For whatever reason it happened, that is them walking away from the Lord, but the Lord will not take away their salvation. Okay. It's, uh, we are saved in order to be holy and glorifying of him, not to continue to participate in the sins of the flesh. That's what the Bible says. If you do it as the guy in one Corinthians chapter five does, then you'll pay a penalty. That's explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you come back to him, the Lord is gracious to heal you of that as well. He will do it, but it's up to you to do so. Verse 1-5. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Okay. I, exactly the same, except I like the word all your utterance. In him, all utterance and all knowledge. It just, you know, when you utter things, sometimes you're not speaking. You're actually you know, Sorry. yeah. Well, I, I I was thinking of maybe saying something that really wasn't kind. You know, it's a rawr, rawr, rawr. anyway. But yeah, that's kind of a stutter anyway. All right, this verse carries on from the previous one, where Paul thanked God continuously for the grace He had bestowed upon the Corinthians. 
This grace given by Christ Jesus was endowed so that they would be, as Paul says, enriched in everything by him. The knowledge of Christ is an exceedingly great knowledge granted by grace. It enriches our lives in every way, and it is what leads us to the greatest knowledge of all, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's from back in the book of Romans. These are available to us through the teachings of the apostles who are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as they uttered out the words of the Bible. Paul and other apostles gave their instructions to the churches directly. Now we have the Bible which serves this purpose. In the Bible then is, as Paul says, everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. Everything. It's all there. God has spoken by Christ. Everything we need for our spiritual life and practice. And this verse, among many others, unfortunately, leads folks to believe that because they have accepted Christ, they have all knowledge and discernment in Christ. You know people like that? Well, I'm a believer. Oh, I know all. I don't need any more. I hear this all the time from people. I, I'm, yeah. You know, there was a, R.C. Sproul said this. He was uh, talking and he said that there was another, uh, I think it was either a theologian or a minister. He was in a position and uh, he said, I don't bother with the Bible anymore. He said, what are you talking about? He says, I know everything the Bible teaches. I thought, that's a guy that really needs to read the Bible. Oh, my goodness. You know, I, I don't care how many times you read this. There is more. There is a lot more. Amen. Wow. But I know people that are like that. They think they are especially. hate to pick on a, a denomination, but it's so bad in their theology. I'll pick on them. Is the Charismatics and Pentecostals. They don't need the Bible because they have a direct infusion of the Spirit every time they walk into church. And you see these people and they think they're so holy and they do all these things when, in fact, they have zero theology. They do not understand the basics, the mechanics of the Bible. I gave an example in the uh, in the uh, Romans or the Hebrew study. Maybe it's coming tomorrow. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was the day before. It was coming or it's come already is that when we have a uh, uh, car, right? We take it in the mechanic and he fixes it. And he says, okay, your car is fixed. Today. Oh, it was today. today. Okay. Because I do three of them all. Uh, each morning I have to go through three of them. Yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's and I have to put them in a new folder. So I read all of them. And anyway, and that's at four o'clock in the morning. So I don't remember what's happening at the end of the day, but okay. You've got the car mechanic and he tells you the car's okay. And you put your key in the car and you go away and you say, everything's fine. Right? Well, some people aren't satisfied with that. Some people want to know why it broke down. So they say, what was wrong with it? And he says, well, it was this part and this part. And okay. And then they're satisfied with that. And then some people say that's not enough, and they want to understand what makes this thing go like this, which causes this to go like this, which causes that, to, and they want to know the mechanics of it, okay? The more that you know of the mechanics of it, the better off you're going to be at the other end. And that's what the Old Testament is for. The Old Testament gives us the very, very basic details of how this thing is working. And if you don't know that, well, you can be content reading the New Testament or not reading it at all and just knowing that Jesus saved me and that's all. Okay, it's totally up to you. But the more that you know the mechanics and the more that you understand the Old Testament, mm -hmm. and I said this in Sunday sermon, I know it was this past Sunday sermon, is we study the law because we love Jesus. And we want to know Jesus in the new as to why the mechanics came to the need for him. And you can't know that without the law. Paul will explain it, but all you're getting is the mechanics in general. Let me describe this to you. You're not getting the fundamental basics of why Paul had to explain something in a general detail. Understanding the law of Moses, understanding what the prophets are saying is vital to understanding the greater details. And in this class, I can tell you that it seems like all of you are mechanics. 
You want to understand the nuances of scripture. I just don't understand people that don't. I do not. The minute that I met the Lord Jesus, all I wanted to do was tell people about the Lord Jesus. That's all I wanted to do. And I wanted to know more and more and more and more of this word. And I read it and I read it and I read it and I read it. And then I thought, well, I got to start telling people about it. And that's when the sign went out at the beach. Bible questions answered. You want to learn the Bible really quickly? Put out a sign and say, I'm going to answer your Bible questions because the first time they come up and you don't know where that is, you'll never make that mistake again. Oh, your ears are red and you're embarrassed. And I'm sorry, I know it's right here. And I'm going to tell you what, you will put yourself on the spot. You learn more by teaching than you will ever learn by sitting in a class. So anyway, but this is the mechanics of what's going on when we talk about the old. And then when we're in the new, we can understand more fully what's going on here. Anyway, didn't mean to divert too much, but there we go. Um, we're in one five, right? Yeah, the knowledge of Christ is, uh, did I read that? Yeah, um, God has spoken by Christ everything we need for our spiritual life and practice. This verse, among others, I read that, um, uh, unfortunately leaves folks to believe that because they have accepted Christ, they have all knowledge and discernment in Christ. As I said, Pentecostals and Charismatics are, are prime with this. Relying on Holy Ghost power and instruction, they actually delude themselves and others into accepting whatever nonsense they utter at any given time. Prophecies, teachings, proclamations, and so on. People do this. You hear it on the radio. I'm going to prophesy over you. I, I know somebody has got a brain tumor right now. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray over them. They have no idea. And you know what? You might be watching that. It might have been filmed five weeks ago, or it might have been filmed two years ago, and they're, they're proclaiming somebody. And it's nonsense, okay? That, that is absolute nonsense. These people do that, and it's for a show, but there is no substance. And I'll tell you what, I'm listening to the book of Jeremiah now. You're in the book of Numbers, just finishing. I'm in the book of Jeremiah with my NIV life, and he's talking about the false people that make a, a prophecy in the name of the Lord. And he says, he, very specifically, what's going to happen to these people? And he talks about it, and I think, you know what? Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We're in a New Testament, a New Covenant situation, but we still have people making false prophecies all the time. All the time. Some people, that's all they do during churches. The Lord says, the Lord says, I'm woe to those people. If they're saved at all, they're going to have to stand before the Lord someday and give an account for every time that they proclaimed the Lord says. Anyway, uh, this isn't how things work. The apostolic instruction has been given and it has been recorded. Now, in order to understand all utterance and all knowledge, we have to actually open our Bibles, read, study, and then apply. This is hard work. See, I said, I'd say that. There it is. This is hard work, and that is tedious to many. How much easier it is to simply pull out the individual verses and misapply them to life's momentary trials or victories. But the Bible and all it contains is God's word. And it demands that we keep it in context as we study it. Though this is uh, through this precious word, we are edified, we are built up, and we are given our proper knowledge of the things of God and the things of Jesus Christ. Life application, to fully understand God's intentions for us is a long and difficult task. The first thing we need to do is get right with Christ, receiving him as Savior. Okay, you know what? I'll say this. I think I said it during the prophecy update. It may not have, but I think I did a couple weeks ago. Is it twice now? I've had somebody say to me, I'm watching prophecy updates, prophecy updates, prophecy updates, and you keep saying you should start watching the sermons or you should start watching our Bible studies. And so I started watching the Bible studies and I became a Christian. They're watching prophecy updates. You know, this goofy thing and this goofy thing. They're all over the place watching 50 prophecy updates a week and they don't even know Jesus Christ. They've never received him as Lord. Can you imagine that? 
They're watching prophecy updates, which are supposed to be telling people about Jesus, or at least leading somebody to Jesus. I just don't understand that. But thank goodness that somebody will listen and say, you know, I'm going to start watching those sermons just to see what they're like. And you get to the end of the sermon, and what's the one thing we do every time? We do a call for Jesus. Just in case somebody's never, yeah, I know some people, I hear that every week and I'm tired of hearing that. Well, somebody hasn't heard that every week of their life. They need to hear it. And I'd be negligent. Now, once in a while, I'll stop and I'll say, instead of a call for Jesus, let's say, why don't we do a call in our own lives? Because we also need to re-spiritualize. I don't do that often because people need to hear the message about Jesus that may have clicked on for one and only time in their life. But anyway, um, life application. Oh, I said that. Take time to read it. After that, we should seek him out through his superior word. After receiving the Savior, seek him out through his superior word. Take time every day to read and study this infinitely precious treasure. Somebody's been reading the uh, New Testament recently. I'm so proud of him. He's been reading every day. He finds the Old Testament difficult. I understand that. Then he says, I'm almost done with um, the New Testament. He says, I think I'm going to take a break. And I said, I don't recommend that. I said, don't do that. Because once you stop something, I don't care what it is, you stop your diet, you don't diet anymore. If you stop your, uh, you know, I, I, I was a, an alcoholic and I, I'm just going to have one drink at this party. And that leads to a lifetime of going back to being an alcoholic. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I've said this class after class. There's nothing wrong with people drinking. If you drink and you're not an alcoholic, there's nothing wrong with it. Okay. But if you have been an alcoholic and you have one drink or you're an ex-smoker, guess what? I'm just going to have one. It happened to our neighbor. Remember Mr. Thompson went to a party, didn't smoke for years. And he went to a party and said, I'm just going to have one. Three packs a day again, right? You have to stay in the word. If you stop reading the word, you are going to stop reading the word, okay? Don't let that happen. What you want to do is you want to apply the word to your life every single day, even if you're not getting anything out of it. You know, I listen to NIV Life while I'm driving, and sometimes I'm not getting anything out of it because there's a car going over here, and I have to pay attention to this, and guess what? It's still playing. It's still, I, I'll give a quick divert so that you can understand this a little bit differently. I was listening, you know, Ted on, uh, you, you like the Ted, Ted Talks on uh, YouTube. Okay, they do all kinds of stuff. People just talk about their specialty and they say how important this is or this or that. I watched one a day ago. They're usually between six and 15 minutes long. He that goes cooking, I just turned off the computer. I might as well spend my time doing something productive. So I turn on a Ted Talk. And this lady was a neurosurgeon, I think, brain something. And her talk was on brain plasticity. Your brain is like plastic. What happens when you heat up plastic? Melt. It starts melting into a different shape. If you have PVC, right? You, uh, hey, I was in wastewater for 20 some years. If we need a piece of PVC and we don't have it, and we need to make a curve. Guess what? You take that pipe, you just take a, a torch and you just keep doing this and that pipe will bend exactly where you want it. And you put it in the ground right around that thing. No problem. Okay. That's plasticity. That means something can be molded. It can be shaped. And you can do that with PVC 10,000 times to pick it up. Heat it up and turn it, make an S shape if you need. If you don't have the parts, make it yourself, okay? So she was saying that the brain has plasticity. The title, title of the thing is, you will never be the same after listening to this talk, okay? So you're listening to her talk. She's talking about how your brain, they say that children have great brain plasticity and old people don't. She said, that is untrue. Your brain is always changing. She says, every time that you hear anything, that is molding your brain. And I started thinking, you know, I listen to a lot of stuff that I probably shouldn't listen to. Uh, I just, you know, you hear it. 
and that is affecting you. She says, every single thing that you do will affect you. And she said, you know what? You can change your brain. And I thought, you know, I know that because I know liberals that have actually grown a brain and they become conservatives, right? So, but the point is that it is possible for you to have your brain changed to a new attitude. And that's what Christ does. When Paul says, behold in Christ, all things are new. He has given you the chance now to change your brain. It is up to you to use your time to have that become a permanent and wonderful part of who you are. So if every single thing that you hear and everything that you interact with affects your brain, and this is a person that knows this, this is what she does for her living, is to work on people's minds, okay? If that's true, then it doesn't matter if I listened to that NIV actively or not. It is affecting me. And if I listen to something I shouldn't be listening to, it is affecting me. And guess what she said at the end of the uh, talk? Nobody here's brain is the same as it was when I finished, when I started this conversation, because she had now talked something into them, whether they receive it or not, their brain has been affected by it. There is no point in your life that your brain is not being affected. Think about that. Yeah. What Jesus said, you know, every idle word that a person yeah. speaks, well, it's the same thing with every idle thing that's going into your mind. What are you going to do? Be renewed in the uh, your mind, renew your mind. I know I'm misquoting that, but can you say it? Uh, renewing, uh, anyway, you get the point. Okay. Not being conformed to this world, but being transformed. Thank you. Renewing of your mind. Thank you. Good. By the washing of the word. The washing of the word. So thank you for that. I've got my hair standing up on that. Yeah. This is what converts your mind to Christ. If you're not reading this every single day, you are not converting your mind to Christ. If you're listening to it in the car, it is converting your mind to Christ. If you're at a Bible study, you're converting your mind to Christ. Unless you're at a Bible study that says, what do you think about that? How does that make you feel? That's not converting anything. You are converting your thoughts to whatever you want them to say. That, that is counterproductive to the ministry of discipleship. Counterproductive. It does not matter what you think. It is irrelevant what you think. What matters is what the Word of God says yes. in context. And you were forming, Brian, it is so good to have you here tonight. It's so good. I, 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 he very rarely, if ever, has come to a Bible study at night but he, because he's a shift worker. He'll come on Sundays when he can, but it is really wonderful having you here, Brian. Blessed to be here. Uh, I'm blessed to have you here, brother. I've known Brian for years and years. We worked together at two different wastewater plants. We were, for years, we worked together. It's just it was such a pleasure to know. Anyway, um, here we go. Um, uh, yeah, read the Bible. This infinitely precious treasure. Don't stop reading it. One six. One statement. Oh, yes, please. Most people look at the Bible and think, oh my gosh, it's so daunting. But the old saying is true. How do you eat an elephant? How do you one bite at a time? Just yes. small bites. Small bites. It, don't stop. Don't else. stop because as soon as you stop, you have stopped. As soon as you have your drink, you're a drunk. As soon as you have that cigarette, you're back smoking cigarettes. It doesn't matter what it is. If you stop it, it's going to stop. If you don't keep it going, it's not going to go. Right? You got a car and it runs out of gas, guess what? You ain't going anywhere. This is our spiritual gas. You're not going to get it in a charismatic church where people make proclamations. You're not getting any spiritual theology there. All you're getting is somebody making stuff up out of their head. <laughs> Control. Thank you. Six. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Oh, wonderful. This verse, like the previous one, is continuing on from verse four. The grace of God was given to the Corinthians by Christ Jesus. 
because of this, they were, as he says, enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. This leads to him saying that this was even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The pulpit commentary says that the genitive is thus objective about Christ, not subjective, meaning the testimony born by Christ. In this manner, then, the Christian testimony was, in fact, confirmed in those in Corinth. The apostles, especially Paul, passed on the message of Christ through preaching and instruction to the Corinthians, and it was confirmed through signs, okay? The early apostles had signs to confirm the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is confirmed. We don't need signs anymore. Now, what does it say about the Jews? Jews seek signs. Greeks seek after wisdom, but I preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and something to the Greeks. I can't remember something. Anyway, um, uh, if people are following along in my comments, because people emailed me, would you send me your notes so that I can follow along? And when I get to the word particularly, I always say especially, because I can't pronounce part. It takes me forever to get through that. So if, as you're going, I like to type particularly because it's just a better word to use, but I cannot say it without stumbling. So anyway, I, if people wonder why I keep doing that through these things, I, that's a tough word for me. Anyway, um, uh, here we go. Um, uh, yeah, it's confirmed through signs. However, we will see in the chapters ahead that they abused the signs. Sounds like a lot of churches today. And made what was given in honor to look childish and demeaning. What did he say? Stop thinking like, or yeah, children. That's right. Because of this, Paul had to give explicit instructions concerning gifts, especially the gift of tongues. To this day, charismatic and Pentecostal churches continue to demean these gifts in or ignoring the very instructions breathed out by the Holy Spirit through Paul. I will tell you that when we get to tongues, if people believe in tongues as they have been taught, they're probably not going to watch these. They're not going to want to watch these instructions that I give because tongues are known languages. All right. No more than three in a church. Okay. And there must be a translator. If you don't abide by those three principles, guess what? It ain't of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with God because the Holy Spirit gave us these instructions. Therefore, if it doesn't meet these, and guess what? Every single week in this church, every single week, we speak in tongues. I can't think of a sermon that I haven't given you the Hebrew. You know, I, and I always do it because it's a particular Hebrew. This coming week, 1 through 10, I probably give you 15 uh, times, and there's only 10 verses, but probably 15 times the verses in Hebrew because they're very important. I give you that. The reason why is because... When I give it to you in Hebrew, I am about to set up the fact that it is translated very specially. And the translation that you're reading may or may not read the same, okay? Because there's all kinds of translations. And so I give you the Hebrew only when I think it's necessary to the context so that you understand. So when you hear me say the verse in Hebrew, it's because I want you to pay attention to how I translate it. Because sometimes when you hear a translation, you have to, like Robert Young's is a literal translation. It's very cumbersome. And nobody wants to read that, right? But that is what it actually says, and that has importance. Whereas when you get a translation, it may be more of a paraphrase. Even with a, a good translation, like um, whatever, it's kind of a paraphrase because it's very complicated. And so that's why I'll do that. Not to show off, but then what do I do? I always say it in English. And when we do the Lord's Supper, I say something in a tongue, speaking in tongues. But I always give it in English because that's what the Lord says to do. If you're going to speak a tongue, have a translator. If there's no translator, 
don't say it because you're not edifying anybody. I can stand up here and speak Hebrew all day long, right? I can speak in Korean a little bit. I've forgotten a lot of it, but I can still read and sing the Psalms in Korean. But it's been years since I was there. But is anybody edified if I start speaking in Korean? Absolutely not. It's not going to do you any good. Hiko could get up and speak Japanese till you're blue in the face, right? You're not going to learn anything. That is what Paul is speaking about. Didn't mean to divert on that, but that is going to be a very touchy subject. Tell you now in advance, if you think that there is some special thing that you're supposed to be doing with tongues, you probably got the wrong Bible study. Paul is giving instruction about how to handle. When he says, I speak in more tongues than all of you, what do you think that means? He spoke Greek. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke his native dialect. He certainly spoke Latin because he was a Greek trained in the Roman society, uh, a Jew uh, that was trained in the Roman society. So he spoke at least at least five languages and probably more. When he said, I speak in more tongues than all of you, the word tongue simply means language. That's all it means. Okay, it doesn't mean anything beyond that. And when they translated it tongues and because it, people continue to do that, it gives people a sense of something different than a language. Sorry, it's not. It's not. Okay. Anyway, um, we'll go on. Where was I? We're in one six, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, as God will never contradict himself, speaking about things in tongues, for example, then any supposed gift which does not correspond to the instructions he has given in his word cannot be a gift of the Holy Spirit at all. Because the Bible tells us what the gifts are. And if we do something in that gift that contradicts it, it can't be of the Holy Spirit because God will never contradict himself, ever, okay? We must pay particular heed to the instructions concerning these things as they come in the chapters ahead. Christianity is to be a Christ-centered religion, not a look-at-me-centered one, right? He is Lord. We are his subjects. Life application. This is going really quick tonight. What change was wrought in you when you came to Christ? Hopefully something. Hopefully you'll remember that he is the one who deserves the glory for having saved your soul and confirmed it through a noticeable change in you. Hopefully. Remember to always glorify his great name in all that you do. And that's hard. You know, you get mad at somebody on Facebook and you're not very gracious, but that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we should aim to do. That's what we should try our best to do. All right. One. No. You what? You wouldn't know. Oh, yeah, he's banned from Facebook. He's in prison now for the 14th time. No, third. Yeah, well, it seems like 14 because this is a long one. We could uh, read verse 23 of what you had a minute ago. Read verse 23. 1423? No, no, right here. Oh, read 123. 123. Read 123. Bert's got something on his mind. Oh, yeah, go ahead. But we preach Christ crucified, the stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. See? Very good. And we're going to be there in, that's verse 23. We'll be there in at least three weeks, maybe four weeks. We'll be there. Okay. So hang on. We'll evaluate that one coming well, soon. Well, to, you, uh, had, you quoted that a minute ago. Yes, I did. the last word. Yeah, I, I, I just completely forgot where it was. I just happened to have it on my head and I thought I'd better get it out. Now I need to. We'll hear it in a couple of weeks. So, okay. Um, let's see here. Um, verse 1 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Okay, this one's a little different, but so that you come short, no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So one makes it a noun, one makes it a verb. My guess is that this is probably closer, 
There's a saying waiting to be revealed, but I, I'm not going to check the Greek right now, but my guess is probably a noun by the way they translate it here. Anyway, this verse is still continuing on with the same basic thought that Paul has been making for the past three verses. The grace of God was given to the Corinthians by Christ Jesus. Because of this, they were enriched in everything by him and all utterance and all knowledge. That's two verses ago. This led to even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Last verse. Because the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them through their conversion to a new life in him, it ensured that they would come short in no gift. That's his words again. The term come short is used in connection with the thought of verse 5, where Paul said they were enriched in everything by him. Because they, and we also as believers, are so enriched, there will be no deficiency or lack in any gift. The term gift is charismati. It doesn't only imply miraculous gifts, such as speaking in various tongues, healings, and etc., but instead it's certainly speaking of a sound and proper Christian walk. It includes right knowledge, right application of that knowledge, sound conduct, harmony between believers, and so on. This isn't speaking only of a miraculous gift. Uh, uh, that this isn't speaking only of a miraculous gift is certain based on the contents of the rest of the epistle. To conclude this verse, he ties in this fullness of what Christ offers during our lives as sufficient to carry us through until the end, as we are, as he says, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, be it a day, or be it an entire lifetime of waiting, which has now gone on for 2,000 years, by the way, we are fully gifted in our lives to ensure and continue on in a full and complete manner as we wait on his return. Does everybody feel that way? I'm fully gifted? Every, okay, I hope so, because we are. It is a true statement. It's not something that, you know, there are times where we can have doubts. There are times where we can be miserable, whatever, but we should say, you know, the Lord, he's got the end all figured out. He's already there, and so I must be fully gifted in getting there. Even, and I hate to say this, but even if it means getting shot as a missionary overseas. Think of that guy that just died up in the Adamant Islands, right? Okay, I'll stop right there. I, I didn't talk about him during the Prophecy Update. I don't think I'm going to this week, and I want to say something about that. Maybe I said it a couple weeks ago. Anyway, he died. That became the most, you know, Google, they search things and they say the top search every day and it's usually business stuff or something, something you know, really important. He became the most searched item on Google one day. Is you know, the island that he got shot on, they're, they're asking, searching questions about this. Now, oh, I talked about this last week, didn't I? During the we Bible. Talked about we talked about it. Oh, okay, Saturday. All right, well, then I, I can say this because the people didn't hear about this. The Wheaton College had the people down in uh, South America, and they were martyred, and they made a movie about them called The End of the Spear, okay? Yeah. And Wheaton College asked the student body together, and they said, we've lost our brothers. They've been martyred down there. Who will go? And everybody in the congregation that was called at the student assembly stood up. They all stood up. They were willing to go. And they picked two more people and they sent them down there. And those people were evangelized and they have become a Christian people. One of them, actually, they brought him up and they did the movie about him. They brought him to America. He said, when he went back, nobody believed me. He says, the doors open by themselves. You don't have to walk. He's on one of those things in the, the uh, you know, it's just the Eskimo, whatever. He says, he, he, they couldn't believe it. These were people that had killed each other almost to extinction. They killed anybody that came into their area, and people were willing to go and give their lives 
to evangelize these savage brutes. And now they're these peaceful Christian people. They're about this tall. And you think what they went through. And now somebody has come to tell them. And this guy here, and people say, oh, he wasted his life. You saw it all over the internet if you read any of those articles. He threw his life away. What a dummy. Guess what? He is a step in the process to those people becoming Christians, just like those guys were that were martyred. They didn't throw their lives away. They were the impetus for somebody else that was brave enough to say, I'm going to now go and do this. And eventually it's going to happen because the Lord says that every tongue on this planet is going to be evangelized. It is going to happen. Those people aren't going to get it through a radio because they don't have a radio down there. But uh, please understand that, that you are fully equipped for your Christian walk. Even, it means, even if it means getting shot with a spear or getting shot in the head by a bullet because you're in a Muslim land and you're trying to tell them about Jesus Christ. You are fully equipped for that. All right. And yes, if somebody gets martyred, you feel bad for them. You want to cry for them. You miss them in your heart, whatever. But guess what? You can dance at their gravesite knowing that they are with the Lord and they did their job in the process. Okay. You are fully equipped. If you're sitting at home with your hands under your legs and saying, what, what can I do for Jesus? Well, just go out and tell somebody about Jesus. That guy that I told you at the beginning of the thing, he took a track and he was at least willing to set a track down. And then they prayed for him while he's reading the track. They're looking through the window. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you can do. If there's nothing else, you can do that much. All right. You are fully equipped. But you're not fully equipped to sit at home and watch TV and say, I'm just going to let life go by. That is not what the Lord has equipped you for. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, charismatic. Yeah, that isn't speaking. Uh, uh, I'll read this again. It includes right knowledge, right application of that knowledge, sound conduct, harmony between believers, and so on. It isn't speaking only of miraculous gifts. Is certain based on the rest of his epistle. Okay. Um, however, I'm going to skip a paragraph because I read that as well. However, as we will see ahead, despite being so gifted, the Corinthians failed to properly apply what was available to him or to them. Hence, Paul wrote this letter for correction, instruction, and reproof. If this letter to them was given as such a guide, how much more ready should we be for each difficulty that arises with us? Because we don't have just this letter. We've got the second letter. We've got all the other letters, right? We have the whole word of God available to us. If we would simply take the time to read it and apply it to our lives, we would be living in a manner worthy of that great name to which we have been called. Life application, we can get, yes, at least one more verse in. The Bible was given to instruct us and to enrich our walk with the Lord until he returns for us. In it is everything we need for our spiritual journey. And yet we ignore it and we expect to be filled through shallow sermons one hour a week. I'll tell you something, though. I thought of something today. I'm going to stop right there. I, I was taking a nap here after I finished cleaning the bathrooms and the kitchen and everything. And so I was here right before Burke showed up and woke me up. No, I was already awake today. Anyway, um, uh, I was thinking, you know, I did a sermon a couple uh, last year. It was March. I was really sick. I had the flu. And my friend, the same guy that handed out the track to that guy in California, he told me afterwards, I couldn't listen to your sermon. Your voice was so gross. And I thought, oh, that's terrible because I spent all that time researching that sermon. And then I practiced it eight times while I'm sick that whole week and I give it. Nobody wants to listen to it because of my voice. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to type a sermon for being sick. And if I'm sick that week, I'm going to say, we're not doing that sermon today. And I'm going to have it ready. And I'm going to give you a sermon that doesn't have a lot of theology in it. It's going to be something to edify you and build you up. And it's going to be short 
so that you all don't have to listen to my scraggly voice, because I don't want to do that to somebody again, but it took me a year to think this through. Duh. Anyway, um, because, you know, if you got a, a passage in the Bible and people don't listen to it, and it's between this passage and this passage, guess what? That is key to understanding what God, it's going back to the mechanics. If people don't want to hear it, then they have missed a part of the mechanics. I will never do that to somebody again. I'm going to spend, it won't be tomorrow, i got something to do tomorrow, but I'm going to spend the next free day that I have, or whatever, free couple hours, I'm going to type a sermon, and I'm going to keep it in that folder for when I am sick. And I say, I just can't do it because I don't want to do that to the Word of God. It has nothing to do with you. I don't care if you listen to my voice or not. I want the Word of God to be remembered and to be, people can refer to it and say, I need to know what that says because this passage and this passage don't mix together. So there you go. Anyway, it, this is what matters is the Word of God, not that, this, this. Anyway, um, here we go. So uh, I'm going to read that last sentence again. And yet we ignore it and we expect to be filled through shallow sermons one hour a week, which you may get if I'm sick again. This is a great error. Our filling comes through knowing our God. Knowing our God comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And knowing Jesus Christ only comes through knowing your Bible. Life application, know your Bible. Okay? Study your Bible. Be filled with your Bible. 1-8. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord. Okay. Mine says in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody's going to have a fight in heaven about who was right. Okay. Uh, this, this, uh, I'll read you something. Um, Jude 1, talking about that. My friend emailed me today, and he said... Uh, in heaven or on heaven? On heaven, yeah. On, I don't know. All right. Jude 1, 1 says, um, uh, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and a brother, uh, uh, and a brother of James. And it says, to those who are called, sanctified, by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. And he said, isn't it Jesus that sanctifies us? He said, I don't understand that. And I said, well, let me check it out. And I went to the Greek and it says in the Greek, sanctified in God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. The word is in, means in, okay? It makes a big difference, right? And I said, does that answer your question? He says, yes, that takes your big thanks and all that. So, you know, it, it just sometimes there are transla translators' preference. Translators can say by, but that may be a theological error, all right? And N can be translated as by, but most usually it is the word in. Well, there's a reason why, and if it causes a theological error, that's why you go through other versions of the Bible, or if you need to, go back to the Greek and then find out what it actually says, all right? But there you go. That's the answer to that question, but uh, I had a point about that. Anyway, verse 1-8. Uh, this finishes up the long thought, which began in verse 4. I'm glad we're finishing with this because we're getting that done. It began in verse 4. Since then, Paul thanked God for his grace given to them by Christ Jesus. This grace would enrich them in everything by all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in them, and for so that they would lack no gift as they awaited the revelation of Christ. Everything follows in order. And it is he, Jesus Christ, who will also, as Paul says in this verse, confirm you to the end. This is another of the multitude of verses concerning eternal salvation. Despite our weaknesses, we shall be confirmed to the end. We have been given God's grace to help us along the way, but even if we should fall and fail to act upon the gifts we have been given, we will still be confirmed. We are established in Christ, and it is he not us. It is he who bears the ability to continue us in him to the end. As Paul says, 
as we live or in our death, we belong to Jesus Christ as Lord. No power in heaven or on earth can remove us from our position, granted by grace through the exercising of our faith. It is this act which then shows us to be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's words again. The Greek word ankletos is used for blameless. This word indicates a judicial standing. Though we may fall into sin, the sin will not be counted against us. What verse is that? I said it at least 400 times in the past 200 Bible studies. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. Let me read it to you. Judicial standing, sin will not be transmitted to us. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. It says, that is, I'm going to go back to 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, this is the ministry of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When you come to Christ, sin is no longer imputed. As it says in some versions, God is not counting their sins against them. There is no sin in Christ. That doesn't mean that we can't sin against God, but it is not imputed. Everybody see the difference? We can do wrong. God is not pleased. Rewards and losses kick in. You are not imputed sin. Because if you are imputed sin after being saved, the wages of sin is death. And it's not talking about physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. All right. And we go right back to the logical statement that if you could lose your salvation, you would. It was never of grace in the beginning. Anyway, this is a judicial standing. Where is this? Um, uh, oh, I'm way up here. Okay. Um, because we have moved from Adam to Christ, we are in him and free from blame and condemnation. In essence, there is no charge of crime because of our position in him. Can't be. Because we're in him. He can't be imputed sin. He cannot be charged to crime. We are in Christ. It is done. All right. This doesn't mean, and the Bible never promotes, that we should willingly sin. It's what I talked about, my friends that have found out that they're eternally saved, and then they go walk away and think, I can do what I want. That's too bad. Nobody should ever teach that type of thing. We are to conduct ourselves in holiness and righteousness. The church has the right to take action, which they will in 1 Corinthians 5, against those who flagrantly and openly flaunt sin, as will be seen right here, chapter 5. But in that chapter, using an actual case of open disobedience, Paul never questions the salvation of the sinner. Ever. Rather, he assumes that his salvation is secure. However, he will suffer judgment and trouble in this world at the hand of Satan, so that, as he says, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He never says he's unsaved, this guy's out, he's lost. Never does that to any believer in the New Testament. It never happens. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ, which Paul writes about in this verse, which is also referred to in that passage in 1 Corinthians 5, is the day when we will stand before him, I'm sorry, it's in that verse, and receive our judgment for deeds in the flesh. But it is just that, a judgment of rewards and losses. It's not one for condemnation and salvation, which he explains elsewhere as well. Okay? Life application, just in time, too. Salvation is eternal. We are saved despite ourselves. However, we will face many trials and troubles in this life if we fail to live up to the standards which Christ has set for us in his word. As I said, if you're not living for Christ, you might be in a bar drinking your liver away. That's your fault if you get liver disease and die of liver disease. You're going to die of something unless the Lord comes first, right? 
if you decide, well, you know, my neighbor's wife is awful beautiful and you do something there, guess what? That may cost you your life. All right. There's no payment for that in the book of Proverbs that says you're not going to get that guy to take a payment for what you've done. Okay. You do things that are contrary to the word, contrary to what the Lord has laid out, you're going to suffer the consequences. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Okay. We will also suffer loss, not just in this life, but loss when we face him at the beam of seat of judgment. How much better to live rightly, uphold his standards, and persevere in him now. I mean, we've only got a couple of years here. It's not like a, a long walk, right? And persevere in him. By doing so, our life will be rich and full, and our judgment will be one of great rewards. Wonderful stuff there. And just in time. Okay, so let's say a prayer. Let's thank the Lord for his goodness to us and uh, the many blessings he's given us. I also have, I can't give any more information to say that uh, somebody that I know uh, I found out today is going to divorce. This person does not know the Lord Jesus. And it's a very stressful time in this person's life. And so uh, I, I can't say any more without, but if you think of praying for somebody tonight, this individual desperately needs it. This is a very tough thing on him or her. Anyway, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, wonderful blessings that you've given us in this life. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Oh, you chose just the right people at the right moment in history to give us a word that we needed from Jeremiah warning the people of what was coming with the Babylonians to Paul warning us of what is coming at our own judgment before you and all the other times that uh, people were told to live right, to live holy, to persevere when necessary, to humble themselves when they fall like David and what he did with his own neighbor's wife. Lord, you've given us these lessons to help us to be mature in our faith and in our walk in your presence. So help us to do that. And Lord, we certainly pray for those people we've mentioned and any others that I failed to mention that are having their own difficulties and trials. And Lord, be with these people and be with all of us as we go forth. And we pray for a safe rest of our week. We thank you for the beautiful, cool weather you've given us for a couple of days. And uh, we also thank you for whatever uh, you provide in the days ahead, knowing that it is what is intended for us. You are perfect in all your ways, and we thank you for that. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, let me back this baby up here.